Women's Church. And I'm going to pray for the message. I, uh, I have, uh, prayer is, prayer is breathing in spiritual life. Um, prayer is the, is the very core of our spiritual health and our relationship with God. It is, um, it's like talking to each other in marriage. Uh, or when you hit the point where you've run out of things to talk about, just being there for each other. Um, and the Lord God assures us that, that even when we lack the words to express our frustration and overwhelm and struggle, that you, uh, that you hear us through your spirit who, who brings up our petitions and groans that, that defy human understanding. And so let's, let's pray for the message this morning. Um, and for the folks who are here, uh, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with me and help me to help me to unpack your treasures in the Word. Help me to to share with these folks what uh, what what your Scriptures have to say, and most of all, help me to share your Gospel. Um, Lord God, it's easy to get sidetracked and distracted and all kinds of things as we read your Word. Um, but help us over and over again to remember that it is uh, it is Christ that this is all about. Um, that there is not a word or a jot or a tittle in the entire of scriptures that that is not about and not pointing toward the gospel and the salvation that we have in Christ and the adoption we have in your family. And I pray that you would help me to to unpack that. I pray for our young people uh, that they would hear and understand as well as our our everyone else in the room, that they would know you more through just hearing the word preached. Um, I pray for your grace on all of us um, as we're present for the word this morning. Uh, pray for our hearts to be open and, you know, soil to be ready for seeding and planting. Pray for your Holy Spirit to just be ascend on this place. Descend, not ascend. Descend on this place and fill us up. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh... I like to start uh, preaching with stories uh, because I understand a lot of things just based on the stories that that I can kind of connect them to. And I uh, was thinking this morning about a Japanese restaurant I visited. Uh, Golly, it must have been, that's probably 20 years ago now. Uh, Maybe less, probably 16, probably, maybe. Anyway, so I visited this Japanese restaurant in Indiana. Uh, just a hole in the wall. Usually you think hole in the wall and you expect to get barbecue or greasy spoon kind of truck driver fare. Uh, This was a Japanese restaurant slash sushi place, which, I mean, I guess maybe the wisdom of going to a hole in the wall, greasy greasy chopstick uh, restaurant to eat raw fish, uh, in Indiana, which is many, many, many miles away from the ocean, indicating fresh fish might be fresh fish. But the food there was incredible. It was so good that decades later I still reflect on how good it was. And I still think about how much I would love to eat there again. And uh, one of the things that's a major test for me in any sort of, like, ethnic food is what language the waiters speak. 
And in this instance, there were no waiters. There was the lady who I think was the mom of the guy who ran the place. She was the only one there when I walked in the door, and she did not speak a word of English. Not a word. I had to order by pointing at the menu. Um, I was there in the middle of the afternoon. It was definitely a small house, and I was in the living room, and I pointed at the menu, and I got like nine courses, I think. Um, And I say this because the very first thing she brought out to me was a large tray with like 20 little bowls of stuff. And I went through and I sampled and ate some of everything. And deciding it was all good, I proceeded to eat all of it. Everything she put in front of me. I don't know what any of it was. Not a clue. Until she came out and looked at it and looked at me like I was insane. And I discovered that it was... And the best I can tell, okay, so like, you know, different languages, and we're kind of back and forth. I'm pretty sure it was the condiments. (laughs) And so I sat down and did what is the Japanese equivalent of drinking the ketchup and mustard and the onions and the relish and everything else. And it was embarrassing. Um, But the reality was I went there to enjoy an experience, to be present in this restaurant. I did not plan to learn to speak Japanese, right? Didn't learn, didn't plan on learning the culture, didn't plan on assimilating. I was not going to do any of those things. I was there to sample a cuisine I had not had before. And I sampled everything. In fact, I ate everything they put in front of me. That was the rule. Eat everything they put in front of you. Um, I, I start here because I was, you know, in Indiana, to some degree, I was a bit alien, right? I am not a Midwesterner, and the Midwest has its own culture. Montana has its own culture. And I think uh, if you talk to the farmers enough about ministers who come through here, A lot of times they'll giggle and laugh about the weird things that ministers do when they come through because they're just not local. And you all have your own culture, right? Um, And, and, you know, we're aliens. I'm alien here. I don't, you know, I'm I'm not a Montanan. I'm never going to be a Montanan. I tell people I am, but I'm lying. Um, and, And in that setting, I was an alien, right? Walk out of the restaurant, and I'm slightly less alien. In the Japanese restaurant, I am super-duper alien. Don't belong there. Well, it's not that I don't belong. I paid to be there. But I wasn't going to set up my life there. I was just visiting. Um, I want you to keep this concept in your mind, at the forefront of your thinking, as I kind of dive into our section of Daniel today. I hope against hope, that we will finish the first chapter this week. This is the third sermon I'm doing on the first chapter of Daniel. I know it's my fault. I'm not sorry. Uh, We started out just looking at the first couple verses where the nation of Israel is invaded by the Babylonian Empire. And the scripture, those texts, make it clear that Israel had rebelled against, uh, against God long enough 
and God finally washed his hands of them and sent the Babylonian Empire as his tool, as his people, to conquer and take away um, his children. And they were taken away as captives and slaves to a foreign nation, to Babylon. And the, the best of the best in the country basically ended up um, servants, basically ended up living over there. Some of them were uh, altered in unpleasant ways, but they, they lived in Babylon for about 70 years separate. And we talked about the difference in that first sermon. It's kind of interesting stuff to me. The, the difference between the Judah exile, where they stayed separate, and the Israel the northern kingdom exile that happened beforehand where they did not stay separate. They integrated and disappeared. We talked about the importance of being separate and being unique and belonging as God's people in every part of our identity. That was kind of the big idea. Last week, we talked about the names of our five main, four main characters, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which have these specific, distinct names in relation to who God, like, who they are. And they kept those names to themselves and did not forget them. And I contended, and I continue to contend, that Daniel uh, was able to stand out and be unique because he remembered his entire life that God is my judge. Right? He remembered, this is who I am. I am not a Babylonian. I am not one of these people. I don't live here. He walked into the Japanese restaurant, looked around, and basically ended up staying there for the rest of his life. But he stayed Daniel. They renamed him. They named him Bell Protect His Life, meaning Bell is like one of the uh, pantheon of uh, pagan gods. It's either the highest... Uh, God, uh, I think Marduk, uh, my memory is not always fantastic, or uh, his son, but like protect his life. And like instead of taking on that name, he like they called him that. But Daniel stayed Daniel. He stayed unique. He stayed different. And we're going to come to our very first test of that staying different in uh, chapter one. This is verse eight to ten. And this is a verse, by the way, this whole section is is like the red-headed stepchild of this book. It is not well taken care of, not well presented, not well treated. There is this habit of reading this chapter and turning it into something he isn't. Has anybody ever heard of the Daniel Diet? <laughs> I always thought it was funny that the guy who was selling the Daniel Diet book last time around was really overweight. Um, but there are people who will take this text and say, this shows us how Scripture says we should eat. And that's not what this text is about at all. Everybody with me? We're going to get to that. We're going to come back around to it, but I want to acknowledge it up front. This is not a diet guide. Period. Um, what is it? Well, we'll start. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you look worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
All right. Um, there's a lot going on in this opening bit, and we're going to kind of touch on the major themes. Uh, Daniel refused to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, um, this is kind of interesting because uh, he's going to be trained to be a divinator, like or a magician, right? Like or a fortune teller. So he's about to go to school to learn to re- be what he's not supposed to be. I mean, like in no reasonable way is he staying out of the culture that he is in, right? Um, he's been given a brand new name with a pagan god in it. And you say, oh, well, that's not a big deal. It's just a name. But one of the things we talked about last week is the fact that one of these guys, uh, Azariah, I left my laser pointer at home, sorry. Azariah, uh, the Lord is my help, uh, servant of Nebo, like they made it Abednego with a G instead of a B. The Jews pronounced it wrong and wrote it wrong on purpose because they kind of considered it heretical or offensive to use the name of this God in his name. Um, and so, like, like because uh, Nebo was a major deity for the, the pagans, he's like, well, I'm just going to change it a little bit. But he did accept the name. Like, taking the name is not a small thing, and it would have been a defiling act on its own. So he's taken a new name. He has... Uh, and he is taking a job in the royal palace doing something that is that is really sinful. Like, not sinful, but like by Jewish standards would be pretty a, like a pretty big deal. Okay? Um, why am I talking about this? Because he is in a position where he is doing something big in the culture he's been sent to. And I don't remember if I included the text in... The uh, slides, because I thought I had a different slide on the way here, so we'll see if it turns up in a bit. Um, But one of the things that God told his people through the prophets before they went into exile was, he's like, look, guys, I know you're going to go into exile. You're going to live far away from home. It's going to be awful. You're not going to have fun there. Don't think it's short. My, My son got in trouble while we were doing something the other day here at the church. And I made him go and sit by himself in the corner of the room. And he proceeded to yell at me and cry and whine for about 45 minutes because he assumed that corner time was going to be less than 30 seconds. The other mistake he made was that complaining about it, he thought, would shorten it. Um, And so what God says to his people, he's like, listen, you're being exiled, and you're not being exiled for five minutes. You're going to be there for generations. So go ahead, have houses, get married, have kids, get comfortable. It's going to be a little while, but it won't be forever. And he tells them then, and we'll see, maybe I'll have the exact text, but I'm paraphrasing because it should have been right here. I don't know why I didn't put it here. Um, He tells them, look, guys, you're going to be there. You're going to live there. You're going to stay there. I don't want you to become them, but I do want you to live and work there and work for the good of the place you're living, the city you're living in. And so he tells them, look, you're going to live there. You're going to be stuck. Everything else, live the life. Don't stop being you, but do the right thing while you're there. Why is that important? Because what Daniel does is he says, all right, I'll do what you need me to do. I'll do what you need me to do. I'll do what you need me to do. This far, no further. 
He did not dig in from the outset and say, there is no way I'm going to do this. You'll have to kill me before you change my name. Right? There's no scene in Daniel. What's the roots? Right? Where they, they hang the guy up and they're whipping him. They're like, what's your name? And he's Kunta Kente. And he won't take a different name because it's not his name. There's no scene like that. Daniel just takes the name. Right? So, all right, well, I'll be that. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything. But he refuses food and drink. What's up with that? It's kind of weird, right? Well, there are essentially three things, two little ones and one enormous one. The two little ones, which aren't all that little, but next to the other one are little. Number one, to eat of the king's table would be to eat unclean food. In order to eat according to the Jewish law, you had to eat food that was prepared in a certain way and only consisted of certain animals, and everything had to be washed in certain styles, and prayers had to be said, and all this other stuff. And so in order to eat this food, he would have to violate God's law. Is he violating God's law by taking a name? Not really. Is he violating God's law by going to a school? I don't think he is, right? Because we find out later he goes to the school, and he learns stuff, and then he doesn't use any of it. He does what God calls him to do. He's like, well, you know, and, you know this is what I'm going to do, and it works out for him. Um, However, however, with this one he says, this is a law that's forbidden. I will not eat your food because it will make me unclean. The other thing is, as part of ancient Babylonian ritual, like this sort of um, pantheon in that area, like king and gods and food had this like weird relationship where you would sacrifice everything the king ate to your gods. And Jews did not eat food that came from those kinds of ceremonies because it was considered a form of pagan worship. And actually, Christians argue about that hundreds of years later when, like, uh, when Paul is dealing with churches. He's like, well, can you eat food sacrificed to idols? Look, idols are just pieces of wood. Don't worry about it. But don't do it where somebody can see you. That's why I eat my Snickers bars in the closet so the kids can't find me. Um, I'm just checking to see who's awake. So, Abby, don't think I have candy hidden. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I keep my candy locked in the gun safe. <laughs> so those are the two little ones. You say, wait a minute, violating God's law is a little one? Eating food sacrificed to idols is a little one? Yes, because the big one, the big one is this. In ancient Middle East, this oriental cu- culture, covenants were sealed with eating. Isn't that weird? For example, when, Jerem- or when Joshua is leading the armies to capture the promised land, there is a moment where they encounter a people that are indigenous living in the land, and God has said, get rid of all those guys, and they lie, and they say, oh, we're just passing through. We don't live here. And Joshua's like, oh, well, we'll make an agreement. We'll treat you guys okay. We won't kill all of you like we're supposed to. And then they seal it with a meal. And that meal is a signifier that they have agreed to a contract. Um, We see it all over the scriptures where, like, there are these moments that are sealed up with the eating of a meal together. And by the way, you might have noticed, like, if you think about this real hard for a second, we eat a meal as a sign of the new and everlasting covenant, right? 
We take the Lord's Supper, and it is a sealing sign of that. Like, this is an ancient thing. It is all over the place. So for Daniel and his friends to eat of the king's table is to say, all right, king, we're in. We belong to you. We are under your protection, and we give you our fealty. Fealty is a fancy word for, like, loyalty, right? We are yours. And so if they eat of the king's table, they become connected with the king in a way that is not acceptable. It is an act of fundamental rebellion against God to enter a contract with this other king. And so they say, well, look, can't eat it for these reasons. We just can't do it. We are not going to be a part of your deal. And so then the eunuch, the chief eunuch, is actually how the ESV uh, or NASB renders it, um, says, well, hey, look, I like you guys, but if I help you, king's going to cut my head off. And that's a pretty good objection, right? I mean, like, uh, why would I help you in this way? And in the end, he does it because the Lord causes him to show favor. It's easy to pass over that because it seems like flyover country, but it's not. Daniel is doing something that is a risk to his own life. Because what he is saying is, I will not participate in a basic act that shows that I am loyal to the king. I will not, I will not salute that flag, right? I will not, you know, to kind of put it in the phrasing that maybe would make sense to us, I will not pledge allegiance to Baal, I will not, or to Nebuchadnezzar, I will not belong to him, I belong to the Lord. Um, I will not bend my knee for this guy. And it is a rebellion, it is an act of treason against the king. And so he says, listen, if you guys don't eat the king's food, it's going to be a problem for me. Um, because he's going to figure it out right away, and you're going to be in trouble. Um, and if I let you be treasonous, it's going to cost me my life. Not okay. Uh, so we go on to verse 11 and 14. Uh, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, later we see their names as, well, Rakshak and Benny. I'm not saying the Akkadian names. I don't care. Sorry. Um, but their Hebrew names are the attribution here. And the Hebrew names mean things like the Lord protects me. You know, who is like the Lord? Who is, you know, uh, God is my judge. And so when we're told of this honorable thing they do before the Lord, their names are used. They're Hebrew names because they're being Hebrews, right? It's who they are. This is a hard one, mind you. It's a hard one because we live in a culture that is increasingly tribal. Don't we? I live in town. Y'all live in the southeast. Pretty sure some of those guys live in the west. We're different. Some of us have an R next to our registration. Some of us have a D. Some of us have an I. I have an I don't care. (laughs) Some of us are Grizz fans. At the end of the day, like, what designates who these guys are, their tribal identity is Lord, right? As for me and my house. Um, and God takes care of them. 
right? God brings favor to them. I think part of that is because they're good, right? I, I did a, an experiment at the beginning of the summer where I asked people who do not go to church anywhere, what do you think of our church? What is our reputation? What do people say about us? What, is, what have you heard? And the amazing thing is, and actually is a thing that Rebecca told me, she's not in here so I can quote her at will and make stuff up, she said, you know what, they say a couple of things, and show me what those are, but more than anything else, they say, I love your church because Terry Grant does this. I love your church because I had this happen, and Jeremy Eccles showed up at my house and fixed it, and didn't charge me anything, and smiled the whole time. I love your church because this. I love your church because of that. And it was all us. It was all us being Jesus to the community, right? I, I don't think we've got it all together. I really wish our church was perfect, right? And I think if you had a better pastor, you probably could manage it. But I think there are some folks here who carry the Holy Spirit with them everywhere they go. And folks see it, and they know it, and they can't ignore it. And they may not know much about church, but they know you. Was it love God, love your neighbor, serve the world? If you do that, nobody can ever, ever, ever come up with anything to say about you. And actually, I read that. Oh, my gosh. I started really late, uh, so you know, and I do not want to shortchange this, ta- uh, this text. And so we're going to be a little late today, and that's just how it's going to be. Um, all right. This is in First uh, Peter 2. Uh, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, meaning the words you say, the life you live, is everything. You are a priesthood. You carry this with you. You are a holy nation. You are not Montanans or Canadians or Americans or... Republicans or Democrats or anything else, you are a holy nation. You don't live in that Japanese restaurant. You're just visiting this place. And to all scale, the time we are going to spend here is nothing compared to where we will spend forever. I think often about how much I would love to go back to Israel and visit. I don't want to live there. But it was a blink of the eye in the terms of my whole life. Two weeks next to the, I don't know, 25 years I've been alive. Um, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may never or they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Um, what is Peter telling us? He's saying, listen, guys, you are different. You are separate. You're like Daniel. You don't live here. You don't belong here. This isn't your home. Live different. Be different. And not the kind of different that's jerky. 
Because our culture is all about digging in our heels and not doing what anybody else wants. Amen? Tell me to do it, and I will do the opposite. It is the Montana way. But in reality, Daniel said, all right, well, rename me. I don't care. Yeah, make me go to the school. I don't care. I know who I am. Not going to change that. When it finally came time to say, well, swear loyalty to the king in covenant. Can't do that. And he took a huge risk. I mean, in our world, we dig our heels in about everything. And we fight everything because I don't want to give an inch. At the end of the day, what Peter's saying is, listen, guys, go out in the world. Live the life you're supposed to live. Advance like like uh, Isaiah, I think, or Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah says, advance the interests of the nations. Take care of your neighbors. Do the right thing. Live right. Live blameless. Live good. But be God's people. That's hard. Daniel then said to the guard, oh, I'm sorry, I read that part. Uh, Please test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. 10 days is not very long, right? It's not. Unless it's like, well, anyway. In terms of diet, 10 days is not long, unless you're the one on the diet. But waiting for somebody else to do their diet, 10 days is nothing. And so you go, oh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Um, This is the text that people take, and they say, the Lord is telling us to eat nothing but vegetables and water. That's not what this text says, right? That it would be out of context. If God didn't want us to eat animals, he would not have made them out of meat. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry to all the vegetarians in the room. Um, This is actually counterintuitive because what's happening here is he's saying, hey, we're going to do this crazy diet and it's going to work. And it's going to work because of our knowledge of nutrition? No. No going to work because God is going to give us a miracle. Because God is going to take care of us in a way that no one expects. One thing they never talk about in relation to this, drink nothing but water. In the ancient world, you drank wine, number one, because as soon as you squeezed grapes, they became wine. There's no way around it. The myth of new wine just being grape juice, total hogwash. Because the heat and the bacteria and everything else, you pulled grapes off and they were alcoholic. um, Or alcohol. And so there's no way around the fact people drank like anything other than water, and it was alcohol. But drinking water was kind of dangerous, right? One of the greatest advancements in the history of man was the invention of coffee. Not just because of caffeine, though I do feel it's a big deal, but because all of a sudden people were boiling water. Drinking nothing but water was dangerous, and everybody knew it. But these guys were drinking water and eating nothing but vegetables, and we think, oh, fertile land around us, like Durga's garden vegetables. No, this is the desert. It is straight up the desert. One of the wonders of the ancient world is a thing called the Hanging Gardens. It was where Nebuchadnezzar married this gal. She came over, and she was really depressed because Babylon is awful, right? It's, you know, that joke, like, oh, you're from Montana? I love the mountains. No, I I live on the other side. 
I love the trees. Nope. <laughs> That's over there. We have Russian olives because you can't kill them. We have amber waves of grain because they're not green for more than a week. Right? She looked around and she's like, it's, it's scrub and rocks and dust and this place is awful. And so he irrigated the city and created an upstairs garden facility that is still talked about. It's referenced literally, I mean, no exaggeration. I cannot even exaggerate this. Thousands of times in ancient literature, they reference this. People who went and saw it and were like, the most amazing thing in the entire world is this hanging garden. And so we're not talking about vegetables that came from nice places. These are junky, awful vegetables. These guys are eating... I, um, Emily Brown, before she passed away, told me about one time there was a really, really, really bad period of drought. And children were being fed tumbleweeds by their parents. Think that. Okay? Um, And so they're eating garbage. But they're saying, well, we'll be healthier. And the guy's like, yeah, you're going to fast for 10 days. We'll see how that goes. Um, Psalm 23, I'm only including this because at this point, Daniel is risking his life. Do you understand what I am saying? He is taking a major personal risk here. Psalm 23, I love Psalm 23. All of us know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, which is a fairly rare thing in Israel. You can never have enough desert or fight over it enough is the Middle Eastern philosophy. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For his namesake is an important component of that because God does what he does because he's glorified in his faithfulness. Here's the important part. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So I will pass through the valley of death. I will go somewhere where it is dark, where it is hot, where it is miserable. There is no life. There is no water. There is no nothing. This is literally the Kidron Valley on the side of Jerusalem is the valley of death. And David was probably sitting on top of his castle looking down into this valley at night, which was called the valley of death. And he's like, even though I walk through that dark place, by the way, the same dark place that Jesus gets dragged on the way to the temple to be tried, to be crucified, even though I walk through this awful, awful, awful place, I'm not afraid of anything because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that imply? It implies eating because I am loyal to God. Because I belong to him, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I belong to him. And Daniel is standing there in a figurative valley of the shadow of death. He says, I will not eat from your king's table because my king is the only table I'll take food from. I only belong to him. Jump over the last bit there. Uh, At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice of their choice food and wine and they were to drink that they were to drink uh, and gave them vegetables instead. Real quick note, this is like officially makes Daniel the guy who says, "Oh, teacher, didn't you forget to give us that pop quiz?" Right? 
you think the other guys in his class loved him after this? Wait a minute, we were eating delicacies and now we're eating scrub? <laughs> now we're eating sagebrush? Like, what? What are you doing? Only water? I didn't want water. We had the king's wine. It's like the best in the world. And now we're eating this garbage. Um, in reality, this whole series of events is a big deal because it is going to make Daniel and his friends like into prominent people in the king's castle, palace, in the king's court. And like all of the conflict that comes after this is a result of them saying, I'm going to be separate. Trust in God. Not going to swear fealty to the king, going to do things his way. And God takes care of them. Here's the other thing. They're shocked that after 10 days, these guys don't look like skeletons. Um, the original context, okay, historically, they probably got fatter. Because like in our culture, we look around and we say, man, I'm overweight. I need to lose weight. Does anybody ever say, I'm too skinny? Where's my daughter? <laughs> I, in reality, people don't starve to death here, right? Our biggest problem is obesity and illness is related to obesity. We eat too much, we get fat, and we die because of it. In this world, you starve to death or die to something related to starving to death, and that was a big thing. Um, these guys got fatter eating tumbleweeds and drinking water. Think about that a minute. How crazy is that? They made everybody do it. It was a miracle because they trusted God, not because of some nonsense diet thing, not because of anything else, because they trusted God in the difficulty of the moment. Um, Here's the other thing that I want to draw out here, and I might actually just cut it off here, uh, and we'll, I'm not going to finish, I could just blow through there. Anyway, um, the tendency of modern preachers and the tendency of modern Christianity to treat this as a diet text draws out a truth that the text itself presents. They're saying, we will not be a part of this. We belong to God, not the world. And then to take a text like this and say, oh, here's a diet tip. You can lose weight and look beautiful to the world. You can get sexy abs. You can get this. You can get that. It is the opposite of what the text is saying, right? Because the church, in a lot of ways, has decided the world's really got it going on. To accept the idea that I need to look better than everyone else in order to have value when Christ died for me when I was the nastiest, foulest, dirtiest sinner in the world, is lunacy. And it's actually eating at the king's table every time, right? But we do it all over. We do it when, when we turn politicians into messiahs, right? When we ignore, we ignore the sin of those around us in order to like, well, not even ignoring, when we ignore our own sin, Right? When we um, live in rebellion and say, this thing is going to be better than God and I'm going to follow it. And when we do that, it's not like, oh, well, I'm just eating, you know, the king's food, just not vegetables. What the heck? Why is that a big deal? It's not that. It's rejecting God. Um, this morning during Sunday school, this idea came to me. and I realized, like, there's a spot in Samuel where Saul is about to become king because the people are like, yeah, we don't want God as our king. We want Saul. Saul is big. He is handsome. He is heroic. He's kind of an action hero type. Let's make Saul king. And God is like, don't do that. And or Samuel says over and over again, don't do it. Don't do it. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. And he comes back to God, and he's depressed, and he's upset. And God says, why are you upset? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. 
In reality, when we choose idols, when we choose our politics, when we choose pornography, when we choose indulgence, when we choose to gossip and be bitter, when we choose to be um, angry, when we choose to, to not speak the truth in love but to, but to pour wretchedness into our words, when we jump on Facebook and throw a bunch of junk out that is not Christ-like and assume, oh, it's just the Internet, um, we're eating the world's food. God is calling us to be different. Not to dig in on every little thing. No, women have to wear dresses or else. Preachers have to wear ties. Titus has to be quiet in church. Like we pick out all these things. We pick out all these things that have nothing to do with the gospel. And in reality, we are people who are bought and paid for by the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross. We're saved by that like amazing grace that he offers us. And we have the opportunity to eat living bread, the bread of life, and drink living water and to never be hungry and never to be thirsty again, to be forgiven for all eternity. When I fail now, I fail to be like Christ, not to just follow the law. And so, like, I may sin, I may stumble, I may fall, but at the end of the day, I'm forgiven before I did it because I belong to Christ. If I turn the gospel into a thing of the world, if I get confused and say, well, you know what? I better learn all the Japanese customs. Let's start the tea drinking ceremony. I'm going to live in this restaurant now. This is my new life. This is my new thing. Hey, Titus, you need to stop. We lose ourselves. We just lose ourselves. Um, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of their service, or of their time of service set by the king, to bring them into service, or at the end of their time set by the king, uh, to bring them into service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found no one are found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azrael. Again, Hebrew names, right? So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, meaning Daniel was in the king's court for the rest of the king's court, and actually he stayed in Babylon until he died. But he never became Babylonian. I actually saw on my Facebook feed that um, we're at the anniversary of Marlene Terry becoming an American citizen um, because she posted something about, you know, finally getting American citizenship a few years ago, right? Like, like Marlene was here and she finally said, it's time to be an American. I recognize I need to repent of my Canadian ways and become an American citizen. <laughs> this is the opposite of what Daniel did, right? It's the exact opposite. Daniel said, I don't belong here. But what if I just do nothing and don't swear fealty to the world? God wants us to swear fealty to him. To do nothing is to rebel. Like we live in a world that is putting us in a spot where we have to make decisions about where we're going to eat and what we're going to do and how we're going to live. 
Um, and we can choose every day, every day to follow Christ. Or we can choose to belong to the world. We can choose to love each other. We can choose to speak out from the gospel of bitterness that our culture desires to hear and outrage and division and wickedness. We can do it. It's easy. And you'll be applauded for it. Or we can eat vegetables. Say, as for me and my house, we belong to Jesus. Now close in prayer, but my challenge to you before I do that is like, where are you at? Like, which gospel comes out of your mouth most? Is it Christ died for us? Is it serve your neighbor and love them? Do you salt your words with love and peace that comes from knowing Christ? Are you aliens and strangers so that when people look at you, they say, hey, stop eating the condiments. Don't act like that. You're not like us. Be like us. Listen to me gossip and commiserate, right? You know, listen to me, um, listen to me be bitter. Listen to me be angry. Join me in tearing up my neighbors. Join me in this. Join me in that. You back up and say, hey, you can do that, but I'm a vegetable guy. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be like small children saying, I like vegetables, as we turn from just the luxury and the, the overflow that the world offers. Help us to remember that you can gain the whole world. You can gain every ounce of it. You can gain every rich, richness. You can gain political power. You gain sensual fulfillment and everything else, but you lose your soul in the process. Help us to be people who love vegetables uh, over, the, over the delights and the ecstasies of, of Turkish delight and all the stuff that the king's table would offer. Help us to be Christ-like in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my... Uh, yeah, I know 